getting ready to have a live session. This Billy Holiday. So I don't play jazz. I'm not a swinger. My good friend Jason Crane. Now it's jazz. Now it's jazz. Now it's now it's now it's jazz. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. The Jazz Session is a jazz interview podcast that brings you the lives and the stories of the people who play jazz, the people who write about it, and the people who broadcast it. This is show number two, and you'll find it and all the rest of the shows, which at the moment is one more, (laughs) at thejazzsession.com. I'm really pleased this week to welcome Luis Perdomo to the show. He's a piano player born in Venezuela in 1971, moved to the States in his teenage years. We'll hear more about that. But Luis, I wanted to start by asking you about your dad. He had quite an effect on your early musical upbringing, didn't he? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, You know, I I was very lucky to have access to a big record collection when I was growing up. My father, you know, he's not a musician, but he plays a little piano by ear. He was very um, open-minded as far as the music that he liked to uh, listen to. We used to have a big um, record collection of, um, you know, you could find jazz, um, classical music, salsa music, um, Brazilian, traditional Venezuelan music, pop music, uh, soul, you name it. You're sure that you could find anything in there, (laughs) you know. And you mentioned uh, when you were a kid you were listening to a lot of very adventurous music that most other kids your age weren't listening to, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, um, my teacher in Venezuela, uh, Jerry Whale, he, uh, every time after my lessons, he used to lend me a couple of records. And he also had a big uh, record collection, especially with um, a lot of avant-garde. So this way... um, I got introduced to um, the music of Cecil Taylor and a lot of Ornette Coleman, Stockhausen, Schoenberg. I got introduced to uh, Glenn Gould, a recordings of Glenn Gould playing, uh, actually playing Schoenberg, actually. Paul Blay, people like Andrew Hill, Gunter Hampel, especially uh, also a lot of um, European avant-garde I got to listen to through my in Venezuela. Just one last thing I wanted to ask you about that, and that is a lot of adults find it very difficult to listen to music like that and understand what's going on. How did you have the tools to to really appreciate that music at the young age that you were listening to? Yeah, well, you know, it, it's funny that you mentioned that because at the beginning when I first started piano, I didn't like jazz. It's not that I didn't like it, I didn't understand jazz. And so I thought it was boring. It's like, oh, because my dad was always listening to like Oscar Peterson and Bad Powell and Dizzy Gillespie, and I was like, oh, man, you know, why are you listening to that? At the time, I was listening to a lot of salsa music. And uh, at the, uh, also at the time, my teacher, he, every time for my lessons, he used to bring one of the pieces of the real book. I guess a few years later, I heard a saxophone player from Venezuela 
playing one of the songs that my teacher had brought, one of the songs from the real book, which he, it was actually Pent Up House by Sonny Rollins. But he was playing this song, which is a jazz song, and he was playing with a Latin rhythm section. And I was like, oh, man, that's great. You know, that's that song that I'm just learning, and he, that this guy is playing it, you know, with a Latin rhythm section. So I guess that's how you really started in, you know, getting interested into jazz, you know, through um, Latin jazz, you know. But then right after, I don't know how, but I just jumped to avant-garde. Um, I think it might have been the energy of the music where attract you know attracted me, but right right after that I was listening to Om, I was listening to um, Paris concert, this group with Chick Corea, Anthony Braxton, Dave Holland, and Barry Atchell, Frank Wright, you know the the first Frank Wright record that he did for ESP, listening to the uh, New York Art Quartet, and and you know I just loved it, like you know from the first time that I heard um, avant-garde music I just loved it. So you said you played your first professional gig when you were 12. How did that happen? Yeah, yeah. I had a band uh, with a whole, bu- whole bunch of uh, kids from my high school. Um, and we had a, a small salsa band. I think it was uh, it was six six people in that band. And we just played, a, played around, you know, little um, school reunions and stuff. I always say that it was my first official gig because that, that was the first gig where I got actually got paid mo- some money, and it happened in a baseball stadium, not not like a big baseball stadium, one of those little you know <laughs> stadium for um, I guess for kids. That's where my my first gig was, and I just stayed playing you know music after that. By this time, were you starting to think about music as a career choice? No, 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 no. It was just um, I I really liked it a lot, but. I guess nobody really in my family wanted me to be a musician, just because um, musicians were seeing as, you know, drug addicts and alcoholics, and you know, um, uh, you know, they were always like running, or, you know, running behind some women, and you know, just getting in trouble. Uh, my dad just wanted me to learn music, just to keep me off the streets, and you know, just do something else instead of being hanging out doing nothing. I don't really know when when I just became interested in, you know, like thinking about it in a serious way. I just, it just happened, you know. I, I think I never really thought about it. I, I, the only thing I knew is that I, I loved uh, playing music. Um, you know, and to this day, I, you know, I, I love it. And, you know, I wouldn't do anything else. At some point, you decided, well, I'm, I need to go to the States, learn more about this music, get more immersed in it. Where, where in your childhood did that transformation happen where you started to get really serious about it? Yeah, that happened, um, I guess, might have been about 19 or 18. Um, but right after I finished high school, I spent maybe about a year that I was just practicing and listening to music. Then my dad kind of started getting restless, you know, like, uh, you know, you got to do something. You got to either go to school or to work, but you cannot be here hanging out all day. <laughs> I got lucky because I got a job playing in... I guess it's uh, Caracas' most um, famous jazz club, which is called the Juan Sebastian Bar. They have music from Monday to Saturday. I got a happy break there. Uh, at the beginning, I was just I was just a sub. You know, I used to sub for the uh, regular piano player. 
But then eventually when the guy left, he just told me, man, you, you want the job? And, uh, you know, I said, sure, yeah. And I did that gig uh, from Monday to Saturday for four years. It was in this place where I met a whole bunch of other musicians. I met this trumpet player um, who had a uncle that lived in um, Elizabeth, New Jersey. He used to go to New York all the time. One time he told me, man, you, you know, you want to go to New York? Let's just go to New York and, you know, go see music and stuff. And I, I said, yeah, you know, sure. So I saved some money, um, went to the American embassy, got my visa, and just came to New York, you know, just to hang out and stuff. And this would have been, like, in the late 80s? Oh, uh, this was in, let me see, this was in 1990. Okay. Yeah, this was in uh, October of 1990. Then here I met a saxophone player uh, who was from Venezuela. His name is Rolando Briseño. And he was the one that told me, man, why don't you uh, audition f uh, to the Manhattan School of Music? I think this must have been a couple of years after the first time that I came to New York. I, you know, I just came back again just to hang out. So that's when I auditioned to the Manhattan School of Music. It happened that at the time that I came, they were doing auditions. So uh, I just went with my friend, uh, with this guy, Rolando, and he helped me to fill out all the uh, forms and everything. And next thing, they gave me a scholarship, and I, I just came back, you know, and I stayed here. So you came to New York on a vacation. You went and auditioned for college, and you got a full scholarship. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I officially came to uh, New York in August of um, 1993. I'm talking to you from Rochester, New York, and that is currently where Harold Danko teaches at the Eastman School of Music. Oh, and yeah. uh, yeah, if yeah, yeah. my memory is right, you studied with him at Manhattan, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, yeah, 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 definitely. I actually knew of Harold's playing because there's a um, radio show in Venezuela who is still there, you know, a radio show. I think this guy, uh, his name is Jack Brownstein, and he had a jazz radio show since 1955. I remember my dad used to listen to it a lot, and he used to tape it. And one time we were listening to it, and he played this record by Lee Konitz. And Harold, it, it happened that Harold Danko was a piano player. And I think it might have been Rufus Reed on bass and Al Harewood on drums. And I don't know, from, since that time, I just kept listen, you know, thinking of like um, Harold's playing. And I used to play that tape because I, it happened that I taped the... Um, the radio show, and I used to listen to it a lot, and you know, over and over, over and over. And when I came to the Manhattan School of Music, I saw that he was the teacher there. I, w I said, well, you know, I got to study with this guy. It happened that, you know, he, he actually met him. He was there when I auditioned to the Manhattan School of Music, and he was a real, real nice guy, and, you know, he has accepted me as a student, and, you know, that's how it happened. And what did you study with Harold? What did you get from studying with Harold? He knew a lot of harmony. You know, I got introduced to the way American uh, people play, you know. Because down there in Venezuela, I, um, although I was playing jazz, but, I, had, you know, I had a lot of other influences. And I was playing Latin, and I was playing um, Brazilian music. But when I came here and I, you know, I, listened, I started listening to Harold Danko, and I also took a couple of lessons with um, um, the late uh, Jackie Byer. It was a realization to me. I said, wow, you know, this is so different to the way that uh, we were playing down there in Venezuela, you know. And especially, you know, the uh, Harold's harmonic concept was so uh, far advanced that I actually wish that I could t 
take lessons with him now, you know, because I think now I'm more prepared to understand what he was telling me, you know, um, when I first came to New York. When you were at Manhattan, were you also studying classical piano at the same time? Yeah, I also took some um, um, uh, classical lessons with a pianist by the name of Martha Pestalozzi. And she was a beautiful lady and uh, very, 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 very serious about you know, you know um, music and and it was great for me, you know. Yeah, it really helped my technique. Um, I studied some Chopin and Bach with her and some Mozart, and uh, she also helped me a lot with my sight reading. I took classical lessons for uh, the, the four years that I was in Manhattan School of Music. And were you uh, recording records and playing gigs at this time? Not much, not much, because I was um, I was an international student, so I was required to, I think, that I had to take more than 16 credits. So, And, you know, at some point I was taking like 20 or 21 credits, so I didn't really have that much time to be like, you know, hanging around or like recording. Or, I mean, I used to play around the school a lot. I remember I used to play a lot with um, Stefan Harris, uh, who was at the school at the same time. And we had a group, actually, or he had a group, and I was in his group, so, and, you know, we used to do um, gigs around. But uh, I guess I wasn't playing that much. You know, I was just mainly just going to school. And when you finished at Manhattan, you went on for an advanced degree at Queens College, right? Yeah, in Queens College. That happened, I have seen Roland, uh, Roland Hanna playing at the uh, Manhattan School of Music. Um, he was a um, special guest with the uh, uh, Manhattan School of Music Jazz Orchestra. And uh, m- when he played, at some point he played a couple of tunes, uh, solo piano. I think one of the songs was um, Lush Life. And man, like, right away I said, man, I got to... I've got to take lessons with, with this guy because at the time I was hearing in a more polyphonic way, not just um, harmonically, you know, when you just hear like chords, like vertical chords. I was hearing more um, uh, lines, like melodic lines. And Harold was a master um, playing at that, um, and that particular style. And uh, I found out that he was teaching at the uh, uh, Queens College and same thing, I went and and I auditioned, and, you know, I took, uh, I guess, two years of uh, lessons with Harold, uh, with um, uh, Ron and Hannah, I'm sorry. And, uh, man, this guy was tough. And that's actually, you know, <laughs> uh, he that's the kind of teacher that, uh, you know, I need, you know, somebody who doesn't really take no um, BS um, from me, you know. Um because with my teacher in Venezuela and with Harold, we were more like friends. So many times I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't um, study the stuff that I was supposed to uh, prepare, and I would come to the lesson unprepared. And I would, you know, I would tell Harold or or Jerry, "Hey, man, you know, just um, I didn't have time to practice." And you know, they they were nice about it, and they they say, you know, okay, well, you know, we'll do it next week. But with uh, Roland, forget it, man. Like this guy, I remember one time that I was, I was maybe like twenty minutes late when I showed up to the uh, to the lesson. He just told me, "Man, you know, you cannot be 
coming here this late and you're making me waste my time and you know I'm serious about this and blah 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 and, you know he just gave me a lecture for 10 minutes and then he just told me well you know I can, we cannot do anything right now just come back next week for your lesson and after that <laughs> I always I practice everything he told me to practice and I was there on time and you know I didn't mess with um, uh, Roland you know, you said with Harold, you were really studying uh, kind of harmonic and chordal concepts, and then it sounds like with Roland Hanna, maybe you were kind of, uh, it was a perfect complement. Oh, yes, 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 definitely. And also, I, especially with Roland, I did a lot of classical, even more than what I did in, in Manhattan School of Music. I did, like, tons, tons of um, classical music, and also I went back and with, uh, I studied some earlier um styles of jazz piano, um, like Fats Waller. I played a lot of um, Scott Joplin, uh, ragtime um, pieces, a lot of Chopin etudes, a um, lot of Bach, uh, a lot of um, Brahms. And actually, uh, Roland was the first um, guy that I, I heard talking about um, um, three-quarter pedal, um, half pedal, and Ex- explain what those things are. Um, you know, it's just like you know, basically when you play piano, like a, a lot of people just stomp on the on the, on the sustain pedal. You know, just like either you like press it all the way down and then release it. But um, uh, Roland, he had a way, you know, that he just would p- press the pedal, maybe a quarter of it, and he would just get this sort of like an echo in the piano. You know, and it, it was just great that the way his pedaling was. Sometimes he would just press the damper pedal and then play with the uh, you know with the sustain pedal or quarter pedal and man it was just great and he would play loud but it, it wasn't la- like a, the sort of loud that you just say oh man no stop it's, you know it was a nice big sound that he got out of the piano and also he many times he told me you know Luis I'm you, right now you're playing, you know, you're playing, you're making so a little money. It will be good if you start going to a Carnegie Hall or Alice Tully Hall or like one of those places and start checking out different piano players, you know, different uh, classical piano players, and buy a ticket and sit right in front of the pianist, you know, in front of the guy, so that you can you can really see what they're doing with the pedals and, you know, so you can see, it, like, you can hear all the, the tone that they're getting out of the piano. And it, it was an experience for me uh, to study with um, Roland, because it really opened my eyes, you know, to like all the full possibilities of the piano. It, you know, like before I was seeing piano just like, okay, you sit there and then you just press the keys down and it makes a sound and that's it. No, like with um, Roland, he told me, okay, you know, now you got to play the bass and, and make the bass sing. And, you know, I started thinking of the piano as an, like, as an orchestra, not just 88 keys. Uh, I started seeing it as 88 different instruments, you know. Actually, after I graduated from Queens College, um, um, Roland told me, well, you know, you, you might think, you know, now you're getting your degree and you might think that you're ready but uh, you're not actually. So if you if you have the time, just keep coming to your lessons. And he actually gave me free lessons for a year, um, you know, every week. 
And that was that was the kind of uh, teacher that Roland was. When you graduated, did you increase the number of professional gigs that you were playing and start getting calls right away? Or what happened to you next? Yeah, yeah. I guess I start, I really um, started playing a lot, a lot in. Um, I will say in two thousand um, one, which is about the time that I uh, finished and uh, taking lessons with um, um, Roland. In two thousand one, I started playing um, uh, with uh, Robbie Coltrane. Also, I started playing with Ray Barreto. I guess at the time, I was also doing some gigs with uh, John Paritucci. How did you meet all these people? There was a friend of mine, a percussion player from Venezuela, named Roberto Quintero. Uh, he came to New York, and he was playing in a salsa band, actually, with La India, uh, we, you know, who, was, uh, who is a singer. At some point, they needed a piano player, so he knew that I was here in New York. This, is, this was in 1996. So he introduced me to um, the musical director, and, and he told me, man, you know, just call this guy. That's how I got the gig with uh, La India. So I started, I, you know, I actually played salsa for, I guess, for about a year, 1996, uh, which was good for me because I wasn't really making that much money, and she was playing, you know, good. After that, the same guy... Uh, the same percussion player, he introduced me to Marlon Simon, uh, Ed Simon's brother, who is a drummer, and al also introduced me to this guy, Ralph Idizari, who is a percussion player. He's the leader of Timbalaya, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. After I met Ralph, he, he um, called me to be in Timbalaya, and I was in Timbalaya for eight years. And, you know, we did like three CDs and a whole bunch of tours in Europe. And with Marlon... Um, we did a record, which is called Rumba a la Patato. And I played with Marlon's band for a while. Playing with Marlon, I got introduced to Brian Lynch. Because then he was playing with Marlon. Then playing with Brian Lynch, I got introduced to Daphne Prieto and Josvani Terry. Then playing with Josvani Terry... I got introduced to, I guess, Claudia Cunha and Jason Linder. And at some point, Jason Linder, he needed a sub in Claudia's band. So I subbed in Claudia's band. We went to Japan. And in Japan, that's where I met uh, John Paritucci. <laughs> so, you know, it, it all goes like that, you know. <laughs> like, it, it is not like, like I have... Um, you know, I have gone to places and like say, hey, man, you know, I'm a piano player, and call me. You know, it, it, it takes longer this way, but I don't know, that's the way it works for me, you know. You've been working a lot with two saxophone players in recent years, both Ravi Coltrane and Miguel Zenon. Right, yeah. With um, Ravi, I met Ravi playing with, um, it might have been with um, Daphne's Prieto. And also when we did the recording with John Benitez, um, the bass player, we did a recording called Descarga in New York, and Robbie was in that um, record. So when Robbie was looking for a piano player, he remembered me, and he just, actually his manager gave, gave me a call, and um, that might have been in April of um, 2001, and, you know, I've been playing with him since. And with Miguel, the way I met Miguel was, um, you know, the bass player in, in Miguel's band, Hans Glavishnik, we went to school together. So we had a trio, and we used to play all the time at Hans's place. 
um, which which was around the corner of Manhattan School of Music. One of the days, the drummer, who was going also to Manhattan School of Music, he told us, "Man, there is this guy in, in you know in Manhattan School of Music. This guy, Miguel. You should check him out." So Miguel came to Hans's place, and we played, and he became a regular. Then we started, you know, just doing jam sessions quartet with um, Miguel, Hans Klavishnik, myself, and Danny Wise, uh, who was the drummer. Actually, he plays with um, Danny Wise. He plays with um, Dave Beanie. Yeah, he plays in Dave Beanie's band. Yeah, yeah, I just interviewed Dave. Recently. Yeah, so that 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 was actually how we all met. You know, I guess at the time that uh, Miguel started get, like getting his own gigs, just because me and um, Hans and I we knew the music he was just a man you know he just called us right away and um i've been playing with miguel since i guess 1999 i guess it's been a yeah it's, a, it's been a while and you've made three records with him right yeah three records and we're about to do another one when's that, that's going to come out this year um i think so i think so yeah so I I want to start talking about your own records, but I have to I just have to ask one question, which uh, you know this is the kind of question that if Ravi Coltrane were here, I probably wouldn't ask because he's probably sick of it. But you said that the first record you ever bought with your own money was Ohm that you used to listen to, and now you're playing with John Coltrane's son. Right. That must seem like a long way from being a kid on the bus with your Walkman. I know. Yeah. Although you know that it's funny because I am. I don't really see Ravi as related to John Coltrane. You know, I just see him as Ravi. We'll be on the road, like, drinking some beers, and yeah, Ravi. The only time that I actually realize that he's related is when I go to his house and he's got all these other uh, pictures that you never see, you know, because they're personal, you know, personal pictures, you know, these other um, John Coltrane pictures. And you see, oh, wow, you know, he's, this guy's actually related to John Coltrane, you know. And sometimes it sounds funny also when they, you know, when we go um, somewhere and we get to the hotel and and, and you're um, checking in and they're saying, oh yeah, you got you you're with the uh, with the Coltrane Quartet. Saying, no, no, we're with uh, we're with Robbie's Quartet. <laughs> you know, we're not with the Coltrane Quartet. Yeah, it's me and Elvin and Jimmy. Yep. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But um, it, it hasn't been that hard because um, being in that quartet because Robbie's. Ravi's music is so different. To um, he, he, you know, he's got his own thing happening. Let's talk about your own music. Uh, you've released two really fine records. Uh, one called Focus Point, which came out a couple of years ago, and uh, a new record called Awareness, both on uh, RKM. And uh, I want to talk about Focus Point first, which brings actually brings together a lot of the people that we've just been talking about. Miguel Zenona's on the record. Ravi's on the record. Roberto Quintero, who you were mentioning earlier, is on the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk a little bit about this project, about how you got to make the recording and uh, how you chose the folks who were going to play with you. Yeah, well, um, you know, I have been offered to do um, a few records in the past, but usually the people that ask me, you know, the promoters or, or the record labels, every time they wanting me to do just a straight Latin record, you know. Even a lot of them, they even say, like, who should be in the record and the instrumentation of the record and the tunes that I should play. So I was like, man, you know, that's... I mean, that stuff is is great, and I grew up playing all that stuff, and I know it, you know, inside out. But that's not really the stuff that I want to be doing. Like, I don't want to do a record, you know, just playing 
um, you know, uh, Latin jazz standards or that kind of stuff. So I'll, every time I say no, a lot of people used to say, man, like, you, you said no to a, to a record date? Are you crazy? And I would say, man, you know, I don't know. I might be crazy. I might be wasting a very good opportunity for myself, but that's not what I want to do, <laughs> you know. And I actually felt good saying no, so, I, I, you know, it wasn't a problem. Robbie was the only guy that, you know, when he um, got his record label, RKM, he, I don't really know if I asked him or if he asked me, but he was the first guy that was like, well, you know, you want to do a record? Oh, cool. You know, just do whatever you want. Like, he, he didn't tell me, he didn't, he didn't say anything. He just, he said, okay, you know, choose the people you want to play with, rehearse the music you want to do, and just... um Let's get together and uh, undo it. You know. So almost uh, all of the compositions on this record, except two on on Focus Point, are your own compositions. That must have that must have felt good. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that music I, ha- I have written when I was going to um, uh, to the Manhattan School of Music, and it's music that you know I just didn't want to just put it away and then okay, that's the end of that. So you know, I just um, you know, I wanted to put all all that music on on record and and you know get to play it a little bit. Because even when I wrote that music, I might have written it for a I don't know for a combo concert or something. So we you know actually got to play it only once. I, you know, I had all 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 this music. Also, have some music that I I wrote when I was going to uh, Queens College. And you know, in in um. I just wanted to just put all this stuff that I, you know, all this random music that I had, you know, floating around, my, you know, my, my, my room. Just, okay, let me just organize this stuff and record it. Well, so. let's talk about uh, the new record, which is called Awareness and which is really fascinating. Uh, Hans did manage to make it for this one and uh, Eric McPherson on the drums. And then on about half the record, it's uh, it's kind of a double trio, except... There's one piano player, you obviously, and right. uh, and two two fantastic additions. Uh, Nashit waits on drums, and then one of the most amazing stories of the jazz world, I think, in the last fifty or so years, and that's Henry Grimes, who's yeah. back on the scene again, playing bass after being literally missing for right, right, uh, for right, decades. Right. Uh, talk a little bit about this record, and then how how did you get the idea uh, to have two bassists and two drummers? Well, you know, I I, um, I always love the way um, the sound of the uh, two basses. Um, I think the first time that I heard two basses interacting with um, each other was back when I was 15. Um, my teacher he lent me a record by uh, Cecil Taylor called Conquistador. It's funny because that that's in that record actually Henry Grimes played. He, you know, he's he's on that record. So that was the first time that I was hearing two basses. And the first time that I heard Henry Grimes play. For this record, um, uh, you know, it, it wasn't something that I was, like, thinking about it for a long time. It just occurred to me one night. It's like, oh, man, you know, I just uh, just going to do something with, like, two basses and two drummers. You know, I thought of the trio that I was using at the time, you know, which is um, which was going to be on, on the whole record anyway, which is uh, Hans Glavishnik and Eric McPherson. But when I was thinking of the double trio thing, I either thought of Alan Silva or Henry Grimes, because I just want, I just wanted like a different color, you know, I wanted Hans 
to be playing the groove and just to be laying down the foundation, and then I wanted somebody else just um, floating on top of it. And I had just seen a concert um, with Henry Grimes and William Parker, Alan Silva, uh, Cyron, and a uh, saxophone player who uh, I always forget his name. Um, anyway, so it was a, uh, it was a concert of um, four bass players and saxophones. Charles Gale, that's the name of the sax- saxophone player. And, uh, you know, I saw Henry there playing. I was like, oh, man, you know, like, I always kept it in my mind, you know. Like, I always, you know, I want to play with Henry Grimes. So I called him, and uh, he agreed to do the record. And he was actually very nice. You know, I spoke to him. His um, partner, you know, they were both very gracious and nice. And they agreed to do the record. Uh, what And with Nasheed, you know, I heard Eric... And she played together many times. And, you know, they grew up together in New York, and they grew up playing together, um, you know, the whole time. So when I thought about the um, the other drummer, the second drummer, um, Nashi was, like, naturally the guy that I thought, you know, it's like, well, you know, this is the guy that I want on the record. Because basically I just wanted the two drums to sound like one, like one big drummer you know drummer with like four hands and four feet and you know playing all this stuff then i wanted the bass to be uh, one of the bases to be um laying the groove and then another bass just floating around and then i had the choice of playing with the groove or like play um you know um out or you know i had i had that choice you know of um play free or, or just play with the changes or whatever, you know. And so and actually it worked out real well. Uh, when I told Ravi, he, um, right away he said, like, oh, great, let's do it, you know. So so it was, you know, at the beginning I was a little bit, um, um, you know, a little bit concerned. I mean, is this going to work out or, or is it going to be weird? Or, but, you know, uh, for some reason, I, you know, like, I thought, uh, you know, I, I I had a feeling that it was it was gonna work out, and uh, actually it did, you know, it did work out real well.
That's an excerpt from Tribal Dance, one of the tracks that features the double trio on Luis Perdomo's new album Awareness on RKM Records. You can find out more about Luis at luisperdomojazz.com, and if you have any questions about how to spell that, just visit thejazzsession.com for links. You've been listening to The Jazz Session at thejazzsession.com. You can look for a transcript of this interview on All About Jazz and uh, many other interviews and reviews. If you'd like to reach me, you can contact Jason at thejazzsession.com or leave a voicemail at 585-643-5151. When you visit thejazzsession.com, please take a second to join the mailing list. You'll find it right there on the site. And please subscribe to the show via iTunes. If you enjoy it and you'd like to hear more of it, iTunes really helps us kind of boost up the listenership. And if you tell a friend, it helps us even more. Thanks to the Respect Sextet for our theme music at respectsextet.com. And thanks to Dave Vrabel, who did all the artwork for the show. You'll find links to both Respect Sextet and Dave Vrabel at thejazzsession.com. Until next time, I'm Jason Crane. Goodbye.